You're listening to a Toronto Centre podcast. Welcome. The goal of TC Podcasts is to spread the knowledge and accumulated experience of global leaders, experts, and world-renowned specialists in financial supervision and regulation. In each episode, we'll delve into some of today's most pressing issues as it relates to financial supervision and regulation. The financial crisis, climate change, financial inclusion, fintech, and much more. Enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our Toronto Centre podcast. I'm Shalina Vestram, Program Director at Toronto Centre. Today's podcast will address some key topics for leaders, including financial supervisors and regulators, to consider blended finance as a vehicle to help support the fight against the worst effects of climate change. We will cover topics such as what is blended finance, some examples of blended finance projects in developing and emerging economies, implications for regulators and supervisors, the role of blended finance in just climate financing, and finally, look at constraints and ways to increase blended finance. I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Naresh Singh. Dr. Singh is professor and vice dean of the Jindal School of Government and Public Policy. He has served as Special Advisor on Sustainability at the Toronto Centre, where he provided advice on climate and other environmental issues as they relate to financial regulatory and supervisory risk management and supported capacity development to manage such risks. He now serves regularly as a Toronto Centre Program Leader on Climate Risks to Financial System. Welcome, Naresh. Well, thank you very much, Shalina. It's great to be with you again and to be looking at this very important subject, you know, as the world seeks to do all they can to combat climate change, every little bit helps. And we are going to talk about how blended finance can increase financial flows to developing countries without them in the fight against this really serious problem. So, great to be here. Thank you, Naresh. So, let's start uh, with the introduction. What is blended finance and why is it important to developing and emerging economies? So, first of all, what is blended finance? Blended finance, simply put, is use of public resources, public money, to de-risk private money where the risk might appear too high for private investors to invest. In other words, you have some kind of like public financial guarantees, which is not exactly new, it has been used in the past, but not focused on sustainable development goals, SDGs for short. So these vehicles are so structured as to the risk the finances coming from the private sector, and so encourage them. The importance of this is that the amount of public money available for developing countries as aid, for example, is just of the order of 150 billion US dollars a year. But the need for the SDGs, the financial gap, is of the order of 2.5 trillion US dollars. 
So hence, we have to use all possible vehicles, financial vehicles, at our disposal to begin to help bridge that gap. And that is why this vehicle of blended finance is so important. You see, the assets under management of the private sector is of the order of 200 trillion. So we are talking of about 1%. If we can find some ways to get the private sector to invest just about 1% of that in this area of climate change, and broadly speaking, the sustainable development goals, we will be making a massive contribution. And that's why blended finance, you know, that's what it is. And that is why it is so critically important for developing an emerging country economies. Thank you for that. I think that was helpful in sort of, you know, uh, setting the stage for our next question, which is how can blended finance help in managing climate risks to the financial system? Perhaps you can provide us with one or two examples of blended finance projects in the context of climate risks. So like we just said, it is about getting private money into funding what was traditionally done by public money, but using the public finances as leverage in developing countries so that private money will flow into these areas that don't typically receive it. So let me provide one or two examples for you. The first example I'll share with you is Solar Power Company in Thailand. And uh, this company in Thailand, one day, Solar Company Group, they wanted to build solar farms in Thailand's sunny northeast. The project was a first for the country in Thailand. And so commercial lenders obviously were reluctant to jump into this contested market because they figured nobody has done this before. This is too risky. So after a few years of persistence and knocking at many doors, the IFC decided, the IFC is the International Finance Corporation of the World Bank that provides uh, loans to the private sector in developing countries at rather low interest rates. So they decided that they will put in an $8 million commercial loan, and this was then blended with another $4 million low interest loan from another fund called the Clean Technology Fund. So this gave confidence, you know, the fact that IFC and the CTF, the Clean Technology Fund, was coming in with some money, some local Thai banks then got confidence to invest as well. And they came in with a $14 million grant to Wandi's Solar Power Company Group. So by 2015, it's an amazing example. It's now well documented by the UN and so on. It's on the UN, UNEP Finance, Special Financial Initiative and so on. By 2015, this company had attracted of the order of $800 million worth of investment. And all of that was coming from the private sector, excepting the small amount that we just discussed, which was initially uh, invested by the public sector. SPCG, this local high company, is now Thailand's largest 
uh, or one of them, largest solar farms, reducing carbon dioxide emissions by almost 200,000 tons per year, which is equivalent to taking more than 40,000 cars off the road. So you can see the impact is tremendous. Now, this is one of the best stories you would find, and not all Latin finance stories are this dramatically successful, but it demonstrates very clearly the potential. Between 2013 and 2016, the company's revenues more than doubled and its profit quadrupled. So, great example of how blended finance can be used to help fight climate change. But that was an example in a, you know, in an emerging economy, in a reasonably wealthy country. Maybe an, an example from a poorer part of the world, Africa, might be of value to our listeners as well. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. So one example of a blended finance facility is what might be called a cascade approach in the Africa Agriculture Trade and Investment Fund. This was a 172 million US dollar fund, public-private structured debt fund, which was administered by the Deutsche Bank and it targeted sustainable agricultural investments in Africa. You see, agriculture in, in Africa is the sort of the backbone of the livelihoods of so many people. And at the same time, it is very sensitive to climate change because of the soil, Weather and all of that. The capital structure of the fund was made of several tranches of different size with different risk return profiles and different maturity dates as well. So, this is how it was structured. The German Federal Ministry for Economic Cooperation and Development, which is the acronym is well known to many people in Africa and elsewhere in the world, BMZ, invests through their technical arm which is KFW, they invest in the most what might be called junior tranche or C-shares. See, the C-shares provide a public first-loss capital, which serves them as a catalytic risk buffer to encourage the private investment to come in and they get more senior shares. They also invest along with others, such as the Austrian Development Finance Institution, and their own technical arm in mezzanine or B tranche shares. And finally, private investors come in and they invest in what might be called A shares. These are quite highly protected. The chance of loss is much less. Returns are structured in a way that they are quite attractive. And so you attract the private investors to partner with this public fund. And sometimes there is even an additional, additional protective layer, which is made up of capital gains generated by the fund's equity investments, and so they provide what might be called a super first loss cap. This fund has in fact been working for several years now, and it's ongoing in Africa. Countries like Zambia, Malawi, and others, uh, Senegal, are actively engaged in this fund uh, with both energy, climate change, and uh, related to climate smart agriculture. So there we go. Uh, you know some uh, examples of how this might work. There are other models. 
but these two give you a good a good feel for how this yeah thank you for those examples i think it will resonate with our audience in terms of africa just your view on this so there has been increased focus on blended finance relating to uh, agriculture business and climate smart agriculture do you think it would be fair to say that perhaps the growing focus now in blended finance is more around health because of the uh, economic fallout from uh, the COVID-19 pandemic? No, not at all. Most of blended finance up to now, even post-pandemic, goes to energy projects. There are some health projects, so the investment in health projects would be greater than pre-COVID, but nowhere near the bulk of the funding going to help. It is still in energy projects and some going to infrastructure projects. Otherwise, you see, for it to be attracted to health projects, the returns will have to be pretty significant and uh, the, the, the risk level and so on tend to be lower for longer term infrastructure type projects or other parts of the economy. So it is still in the bulk of the funding is still in energy. Thank you for that. So in terms of central banks and financial regulators and supervisory agencies, in your view, what is their role in the context of blended finance and climate risks to the financial system? See, some regulation and supervision, as we all know, help in creating conditions for stronger financial systems. And uh, strong financial systems critical to, uh, to growth, job creation, the prevention and reduction of poverty and so on, which are of critical importance to emerging and uh, developing country uh, economies. Inadequate regulation and supervision, on the other hand, increases the risks of financial stability and financial crises. So all financial, regulatory and supervisory agencies uh, have a, a mandate to preserve and maintain and enhance the stability of financial systems for all of these reasons. Climate risks combined, for example, with the recent uh, pandemic, which we were just talking about, are these exogenous shocks to the financial system, which, you know, is really of importance these days to regulators and supervisors. Now, they need a policy framework to support them, and sometimes that is not there, and it could be a challenge for financial regulators and supervisors to engage in fully in managing climate risks because they might see that it is sometimes beyond their mandate. But more and more, there is scope for supervisory authorities to be more proactive on climate change, to be more engaged in financial inclusion, which they have been doing without climate change, but climate change might have also a different uh, or differential impact on women and more vulnerable groups. And so they have, while they have been taking gender equality and so on into consideration, more and more they need to do so because of the differential impacts of climate change. Now, both physical and transition risks of climate change can have adverse impacts on a range of 
aspects, components of the financial system, credit, market risks, operational risks, legal and reputational risks, are all likely to increase as a result of climate impacts on the financial system. So a bunch of risks need to be managed by financial regulators and supervisors. And if you're going to have blended finance as a very important mechanism to help with this fight, we are going to end up now with new models you know, of, of financing, new risks, because many of them, the regulatory agencies might not be familiar with these vehicles like we just discussed, and they would need capacity building, they would need to look at these additional risks of climate change and work on all of this together. So this will be of critical importance to financial regulators and supervisors. On the other hand, as well, we must not forget that not only is climate change having a lot of negative impacts on the financial system and indeed on the economies of all of these countries, but there are also opportunities. There are opportunities for growth, for development, through low-carbon solutions to the problem. In fact, the Global Commission on uh, the Economy and Climate estimates about $26 trillion worth of uh, growth, which will be job-creating, creating as many as 65 million jobs around the world. And so blended finance in developing countries would hopefully be growing in importance. It's been growing already at a low, slow rate of just about 2-3%. It needs to grow much more, and the importance to financial and regulatory agencies are therefore only likely to increase. It's encouraging to know that it has opportunities. Uh, there's risks with everything, but it is good to know that, and very encouraging, uh, it is a motivator that, you know, there are opportunities with this too. So as we know, climate risks have and will probably continue to significantly affect more vulnerable members of society. Can blended finance help in supporting inclusive climate action, meaning the connection between the national inclusion strategies, the national literacy strategies, and now inclusive climate action? Yes, I think so. They have to be more and more tailored to be able to have a greater impact on this problem, but the potential is there. I'll explain why. See, financial systems now, as we just mentioned, are facing these two extra concurrent, uh, which I like to prefer, are called exogenous shocks, coming from climate change and the pandemic. And the pandemic, of course, appeared to have uh, gone down in some places, surging again in others, is this classic, what we call, complex adaptive systems that is highly uncertain and unpredictable. So we need to continue to give it serious attention. Now, both of these are exacerbating existing social injustice and indeed economic inequality. The pandemic, climate change, is impacting and will have much greater impacts over time. The pandemic was acute shock to the system, and uh, we already have had uh, clear examples 
of how it has differentially impacted uh, more vulnerable members of society, people who are marginalized either by race or ethnicity or for some other social structure, social barriers, and women uh, as well. And so in order not to have these vulnerable groups left behind, in fact, the Sustainable Development Goals specifically mention that the main purpose of these goals is to ensure that no one is left behind. And blending, blended finance is about bridging the SDG financial gap, as we just discussed. It's therefore, right in the heart of helping to address the more vulnerable, the uh, women, children, handicapped, and as we mentioned, other sectors of society that might be marginalized. It is also important, we were talking a minute ago about, uh, you know, the relevance for regulatory action and supervisory actions. And we need to bring this together because financial and uh, regulatory agencies, uh, supervisors, need to be looking at these together. So not only climate risks as a risk per se, but its differential aspects exacerbating these differential impacts on uh, women's financial inclusion, on other uh, aspects of people in the society. And therefore, they need to be looking at new products, new delivery systems, while identifying and mitigating risks to ensure uh, consumer protection and others. So this whole area has great potential to benefit from blended finance. Thank you for that. I think it connects the dots nicely between inclusive climate action and as it relates to some of the other mandates of financial regulators and supervisors around financial inclusion, uh, responsible market development, etc. So thank you for connecting the dots for us. From your perspective, what are some of the constraints to blended finance and how can these be overcome? Yeah, before I answer that question, I should also mention to our listeners might be interested in the role of financial regulators and supervisors and you know, how their role in helping with this differential impact on the more vulnerable society, as well as the more general roles of climate change effects on the financial system. And I wanted to mention that a lot of very good detail is to be found in the Toronto Centre uh, note, what is typically called the TC note, uh, one that is dedicated uh, to blended finance, the role of regulators and supervisors in relation to climate change and the sustainable development goals. So those of our listeners who would like to see some more detail, do look up uh, this Toronto Centre note, which can easily be found at the uh, Toronto Central website. But let me turn to the question you just posed, Jelena, and this one is on you know, the challenges, and there are lots of challenges. We, we were just talking about Africa and the challenges there. And unfortunately, the great irony here is that the countries that most need additional money and hence blended finance are the ones that are in the least position to be able to attract them. You know, this depends on investment mandates, 
low risk capacity ratings. That's what the investors look for, political stability, liquidity, foreign exchange risks. All of this they look for, and these risks tend to be pretty high in the uh, least developed countries. Several of these countries are not even rated because they are considered below investment grade. And this, therefore, provides a major challenge to uh, attraction, attracting blended finance. So those are sort of the frame for the constraints that we face. Now, development finance institutions might face higher costs when using local partners and so are sometimes disincentivized to using local financial institutions. We are uh, people, agencies, local investors, governments in developing countries are all looking to engage their local economy in these blended finance mechanisms. But local currency risk is sometimes a barrier, either to cross-border investment or to more international investment. Then there might be financial regulations uh, locally, which are seeking to have some kind of regulatory stabilization, but at the same time, they could be a kind of a barrier to international investments. And then you can have uh, insurance regulations, which could limit uh, blended finance engagements by the nature uh, of the uh, insurance frame, and uh, which might require large capital buffers for longer term and higher risk assets. So a range of constraints, unfortunately, for those countries that really need more money. But that's how you know, the reality of the situation is. So in terms of sort of overcoming some of those, did you want to maybe uh, discuss a little bit of those, share your ideas on that? Yes, I would hate to, um, to leave, uh, you know, our listeners and to end our podcast that note of challenge, difficulty, disadvantages of our uh, the least developed countries. There are ways, and many uh, institutions are looking at these. And I'll just summarize these quickly. The multilateral development banks and development finance institutions should set higher targets for how their money will mobilize private capital so that they use their uh, public money that they invest, that they use it to begin to attract more and more money. And hopefully because multilateral development banks and development finance institutions of the OECD countries are actively engaged in these countries, they have this uh, advantage of hopefully attracting some degree of, of blended finance to these countries. Institutional investors and Asset managers can commit more to investing in sustainable infrastructure. We need to tackle regulatory disincentives that we just mentioned. Where these exist, governments and regulatory and supervisory agencies need to address these, to look at them and to address them. Data, you know, investors coming in to invest, data can be a big challenge and so improving the access to data would help in uh, getting more and more blended finance to these countries. Again, we need to look 
at how we can develop and scale blended finance vehicles and instruments to increase investment in key areas, including sustainable land use, resilient cities, and so on. In order to make all of this happen, something that is centrally important, both for regulatory and supervisory agencies, but for developing countries as a whole, is to build capacity to create and manage blended finance deals. And that kind of money is available and should be accessed more by these countries. So I hope this has been, you know, we have been able to put this on more, much more of a positive note that uh, countries might continue to seek more and more blended finance as is appropriate to their countries and take these steps that I've just outlined so that they might be better able to deal with the challenges of climate change for the financial system. Thank you, Naresh. And just uh, building on some of the ideas you shared, as you know, a lot of countries that Toronto Centre works with and agencies and central banks, they're in, in the process, particularly in the developing countries, in the process of transitioning from a compliance-based supervisory regime to a risk-based supervisory regime that offers more proportional way of doing things. And I feel that this can also further uh, help with integration of blended finance as an element into their effective supervisory toolbox. And in terms of the data, I think even um, sort of slicing and uh, collecting data that is more sex disaggregated can probably provide a more focused investment opportunities in blended finance that incorporate uh, a gender lens. Mm -hmm. So does that resonate with you? Absolutely. If we did not have uh, risk-based supervisory structures, we would need to introduce them now in order to make this work because it's all about risk management uh, and, you know, like we mentioned at the very beginning, blended finance is about using public money to de-risk private money in order to address the central risk of climate change. So that way it's all about risk management. And the capacity for risk-based supervision indeed is an asset in order to be able to attract blended finance. So very much on point. Thank you very much, Naresh. This session has been very insightful as you have highlighted with examples some key topics for leaders, including financial supervisors and regulators, to consider when engaging in blended finance discussions. Thank you so much for your time. Well, it was a great pleasure to be with you again, Shalina, and um, to be able to share with our listeners uh, this really important subject of how to be able to help developing countries and emerging economies attract more money to fight this really difficult and looming challenge of climate change. Thanks very much for having me. Naresh, as always, a pleasure to work with you. Thank you very much. To our audience, you've been listening to a Toronto Centre podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Mm -hmm.